What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome once again to the PC Speaking Podcast. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen in. If you are new, or even if you are a regular listener, I have a favor to ask. If you could follow the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that, whatever platform you happen to be on, just trying to grow the following, get the content out in front of more people. Um, If you would be willing, if you're able, if you think it's worthwhile to help out with that, you have my gratitude. We are back in our series from Pat Most to Present, A Vision of Seven Churches. And this week, we're looking at the Church of Sardis. I think these names actually get easier to pronounce as we go through them. And we're going through the seven churches of Asia. And what we're doing as we look at these different churches is we're not looking so much at the prophecy of the book of Revelation or the enigmatic or ambiguous things in the book. But what we're doing is we're looking for application from the encouragement and warnings Jesus gives to each of these uh, seven churches. And we're going to kick off today. We'll read from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, we're talking about the church at Sardis this week. And this is what Jesus says. He says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says these things. I know your works, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, but are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfected before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not sold their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Well, Sardis. Sardis is a city that was southeast of Thyatira, um, 30 miles, 50 kilometers, something like that. It was a wealthy city, so much so that it was called a city of luxury, softness, apathy, and immorality. And I, somebody said that. I read that somewhere. Somebody said it. I don't know. I remember exactly, but it's interesting, the progression of that, the luxury, softness, apathy, and immorality. And I think that's going to come into play a fair bit in what we talk about today. It's also called a city of the contrast of past splendor and present unresting decline. So um, wealthy city, but not in great shape from a spiritual perspective. It was a well-fortified city. It was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. But in spite of being well-defended, it had been conquered twice previously in its history. And that also, you can uh, that will come into play in what Jesus says to this church. Um, most of these letters that we read to the seven churches of Asia, um, most of them have at least some encouragement Um before Jesus gets into the part where he says, I have something against you and then talks about what is wrong with the church. But with the church at Sardis, what Jesus has to say to them is all negative. 
um, nothing positive. And as he does with all the other churches in our study, Jesus uniquely addresses the church at Sardis. He says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says these things. And as he also does when he addresses every other church, uh, he says, I know your works. Again, there's always a reminder in that for you and myself that Jesus knows. He knows our works, both good and bad. We should be continually aware of that. But he also knows our struggles, our concerns, our worries. He hears our prayers, and we should also be continually aware of that. When we approach these passages that were messages for the seven churches of Asia, And when we're looking for application in these passages, it's not difficult to find application and it's not that difficult to understand the application. Now, making that application may be challenging. It may require discipline and effort, but understanding what to do and not to do is not that difficult. We look at the encouragements at what Jesus was pleased with and we say, okay, well, we should do that. We look at the warnings and say, well, let's avoid that. Like I say, it's not difficult to understand but it can be more challenging to apply. Jesus often offers encouragement to these different churches. He talks about what they're doing well, but as we mentioned with Sardis, he does not do that. They are so fundamentally off track that there's, he doesn't have anything good to say about them. Um, I, you know, Obviously, he would much rather have something good to say, but in this case, he does not. And as Jesus addresses this particular church, he just jumps right in and gets right to what's wrong. He says up front, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So Sardis had a good name, reputation, um, name, same thing. It's translated that way in different translations, sometimes as name, sometimes as reputation. But the church in Sardis had a reputation for a church that is alive. And when I study uh, for podcasts and sermons and things like that. I like to dig around in the original languages. Not that I'm an expert, but I probably know a little more than the average bear. And I look for things that will enlighten um, the things that we're talking about and bring value to our time together, something that hopefully you'll find helpful. Now, I was looking at the words. What I do is I pick out keywords. And in this case, I picked out the words reputation, alive, and dead. And as I was looking at those words, I found, you know, there, there's just not a lot there beyond the face value of those words. Often when you, you know, look at word study books and dig into original languages, you'll find um, a piece of information that will just bring a lot of light to what's going on there. But with those particular words, it's all very straightforward. It's uh, not a whole lot below the surface on those. Easy to understand. So what does Jesus mean when he says to the church at Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead? Because that is a very straightforward statement. The church has a reputation for being alive. The people who would have a concept of that or interest in that would be other Christians at other churches. So in the view of other Christian churches, this church has a reputation of spiritual vitality. But Jesus, who sees beyond what people can see, says they're dead, which is interesting for you and I to think about. It's kind of concerning. I suppose something we can learn from this is something we already know. You can't judge a book by its cover. You can't tell what's under the water by looking at the water. My wife and I 
sit out behind our house in the morning and we have coffee together um, almost every day. And there's a bit of water out behind the house and it's uh, tidal water and it comes up and it's not that clear because it's uh, river water at the same time. And my wife says that she wishes she could see into the water and what's under the water. If she could have a superpower, that's what it'd be. Um, I don't know how much of a superpower that is, but that's what she would like to be able to do. But often you can't tell what's under the water by looking at the water. Neither can you judge a book by its cover. Neither can you judge a church by how it looks. Um, you just can't make you know a, a spiritual judgment based on what it looks like. The amount or quality of things, um, like size, like programs, uh, the worship, the number and attendance, the size of the budget, don't necessarily reflect the spiritual vitality of a church. A, and a live church and a dead church can have both those things. But when it comes to Sardis, there was a Christian label on the church, obviously, but they were just struggling with actual Christianity being inside the church. Sardis had a reputation that was in contrast with reality. And you and I would know the difference just by looking, which is interesting to think about. We can't look around at another church and judge its spiritual health and well-being just by what we see on the outside. And what I think was happening at Sardis was uh, there was a church of people going through the motions of religion, but the message was not the gospel of Jesus. And what happened was they ended up with a church that looks like it's full of life, but it's actually empty of what matters most. So how does that happen? And I think there are a few factors involved with that. One of them concerns the fact that this is a wealthy city. Sardis is a wealthy city, and that's not the determining factor in this, but it is a factor. Wealth makes people comfortable. I mean, we all like being comfortable. We all like having you know what we need and beyond that, of course. And individuals differ, but generally, when people are comfortable, they kind of tend towards apathy and kind of become complacent. And the same thing happens inside a church. When a church is doing well, it's really nice. We get comfortable. We kind of tend towards apathy and can become complacent. Um, comfort needs lead to that if we allow them to. And we talked about the church at Smyrna a couple episodes ago, the second church we talked about in this series from the churches of Asia. And that church was persecuted and living in poverty. They had a very difficult time, a very um, very much in contrast to the church at Sardis. And Sardis is materially wealthy, but living in spiritual poverty. Remember, we talked about how there were guilds of artists and craftsmen and things like that at some point in the series. And those guilds often required some, uh, some kind of pagan worship uh, from their membership. And Christians couldn't do that. Jesus, Lord, that's that. And when they say, well, I can't participate in this pagan practice, whatever, um, it would make difficult employment or make employment difficult for some Christians, these early believers. Now, we aren't faced with that exact same challenge, in, at least not in the Western world, and not the same way these early churches were. But what I'm gathering here is that Smyrna, they were persecuted, they struggled, uh, they struggled with poverty, but they held tight to the gospel and lived in obedience to Jesus. And that's the reason those things happened. It made life difficult, but they had a good church that Jesus encouraged 
and praised. They were spiritually wealthy. Jesus, Jesus said, you know, you're rich. I know your poverty, but you're rich. Whereas the Sardians, they were complacent and apathetic towards the gospel and living in obedience to Jesus. They were living well materially. They were comfortable and they were not prosecuted. Or I don't know why I would say that. I mean to say persecuted and I end up saying prosecuted. <clears throat> Although some may have been prosecuted for different reasons, but they were living well materially. They were comfortable and they were not persecuted, but they were living in spiritual poverty. Someone looking at Smyrna would probably say that church is not doing very well. They look like they're struggling. Some might even say God must be punishing them for some reason. And I've heard people say things like that. When people are going through a different difficult time, they look at them and say, oh, somebody, they must be being punished for some reason. And people would say the exact opposite of Sardis. They'd say, wow, look, that church is really being blessed. It's alive. It's doing well. But the perception is in direct opposition to reality. And our focus in this series is to apply the principles we learn from the seven churches of Asia. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, we can't control what other people do. Um, we can't even really tell another person's spiritual condition by looking at them from the outside. But what we can do is we can focus on ourselves. And the focus we need is not our outward appearance, but our inward spiritual condition. We see in these different churches that wealth and poverty are just not metrics we can use to determine spiritual health and wellness. Neither is the size of a church, the number of programs, lack of programs, uh, the budget. None of those things are a solid metric for determining the spiritual health of a church. Um, you know, like those things could be a manifestation of that. Uh, they could be a product of spiritual health and well-being, I suppose. But at the same time, you know, a social club with nothing to do with Jesus could also be busy with good attendance and a big budget and many different programs. So what is it that makes the difference between looking good, but being spiritually dead and looking rough, but being spiritually rich and alive? I think it's two very simple things. I think the gospel has preeminence in a church that's doing well spiritually, that Jesus says is doing well, and people who obey Jesus. So the gospel and people who obey Jesus, I think those are the two factors that really affect the health and well-being of a church. And it's not hard to understand that, but it can take some work to get and stay there. In a church that is alive, the message of the gospel is central and the people seek to follow Jesus. And the reason the church in Smyrna was persecuted because that's what people did. People preached the gospel. They told people that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He shed his blood for sin and we are reconciled to God through him. We need Jesus because we're sinful and separated from God. And that causes some problems. It does. It, you know, if you're somebody who shares your faith, sometimes people get offended when you tell them that God says you're sinful and they get upset about that. Um, and then when you add to that what Jesus says in John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, you know, not a way, but the exclusive way. 
even more people get offended. But that's the central message of a church. And when you think about that, if, you know, and I, I know it's, it's easier not to say anything at all. And a lot of Christians, unfortunately, go that route and opt for that. But when you think about it, from a Christian perspective, if we believe that hell is a real place and we believe that people who don't know Jesus as their savior really go there, how important is it for us to let people know that? And that's a message that a healthy church keeps central. Not easy to do. It takes discipline and diligence. And you know what makes it a lot easier is not doing that. You know, not talking about the shed blood of Jesus, not talking about judgment and grace and sin and the balance of those things. And there are a lot of practical life lessons from the Bible that are excellent that anyone can benefit from. And it's, that's good stuff. And we should talk about those things and teach those things, but not to the exclusion of the gospel. When when that happens at church, I mean, you know, I just outside looking in a lot of different churches in different parts of the world, but when that happens in a church, worship tends to become more about the individual person than it does about Jesus. And you kind of show up with an attitude, you know, you have to think about that. Am I here to worship the Lord or am I here hoping worship will give me an emotional boost? Um, am I here hoping that the, the guy up front says something to make me feel better about myself or am I hoping he's going to say something that's going to help me better serve and obey Jesus? And, you know, that, that happens when the gospel loses its you know, centrality. The messages become more about what will make my life better from my perspective and less about obeying Jesus and glorifying him. Then eventually, you know, church ends up in a place where the gospel, obedience to Christ and sin, judgment, just don't come up anymore. And it becomes a church of people going through the motions of religion who don't actually worship or follow Jesus. It may even be the case that some of them don't even know Jesus. And I think that's probably the case at Sardis. But one of the amazing things about Jesus is that there is always, always, always opportunity for repentance, forgiveness. He's constantly extending that. Not only is there an opportunity, but he calls people to that every single day. After Jesus tells the church at Sardis, they're dead. He tells them what to do about it. Now that you've heard what's wrong, this is what you need to do about it. And the instruction Jesus gives is both curative and preventative. So, you know, wherever you might be, whether you're looking to uh, repent and turn back or avoid it for the future, the instruction Jesus gives here is both curative and preventative. And this is how you get back to and stay where you need to be. Verses two and three say, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain but are ready to die for I've not found your works perfected before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The first thing Jesus says is be watchful. Remember, this is a city that was known for its fortification, but ironically had been sacked twice. So people would understand and know that Jesus is speaking in terms that relate to the city's history, which everyone there would have been familiar with. A city may be well fortified, but the people on guard duty still need to stay awake. If the guards are not awake 
an invading army can get someone over the wall who can open the gate. And then if that happens, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how fortified the city is, it all becomes irrelevant. When we went through the whole armor of God uh, a few months ago, that you can go back and listen to those if you want to, but I shared some of my own military experience from the past. And being on guard duty is probably one of the most boring and dull jobs in existence. But at the same time, it's such an important job, one of the most important in some cases. It takes an incredible amount of discipline to do that job. The words Jesus is using aren't just telling us to be watchful or telling us to wake up or to stay awake, but to become the kind of person who is watchful and who stays awake, to become that kind of person, the person whose inclination it is to discipline themselves to do those things. And this language, this is one area where I believe it's it's easy for Christians to kind of get mixed up on what this actually means, to flip-flop this around, get mixed up, do what Jesus is warning against while believing they're doing what Jesus wants them to do. What does that mean? Well, if you've been around the Bible much, the book of Revelation, you've probably heard the language used in this passage before. When Jesus says, be watchful, what does he mean? What's he talking about? Often see people take this and run with it in in all kinds of directions. Um, Yeah, I don't really need to dig into all that stuff, but all of that stuff, when, when people take this, it almost always leads to focusing on what's happening somewhere else, what's happening outside, what's going on in the world, what the government's up to, whatever it might be. Jesus says, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain but are ready to die. What's about to die? The church, why? A lack of the gospel and obedience. Be watchful of yourself or you will be conquered by sin. See, the the wake up and be watchful really is about yourself, is what he's telling this church. He's like, you guys need to examine yourself It's not about what's happening outside, but you need to look at what's going on inside. It doesn't translate that well when Jesus says that, but there's actually a bit of optimism in this statement. When he's saying, okay, be watchful, wake up, look at yourself, look at what you're doing, look at what's about to die. And when he says that, he does it with a bit of optimism. You could think of it as things are ready to die, but they're not dead yet. In what Jesus says, there's a positive expectation that the church Sardis is going to listen to what he says and do it. And there's actually no church tradition that says that they did. I don't know that there's really a a specific um, proof, written proof of that, but there is church tradition that says that that did happen, that they turned around and and, uh, made for the better. So in being watchful, in making application, we're not looking out at what's happening outside, but we are looking at what's happening inside. Jesus is telling the Sardians to examine themselves. The words of Jesus are a mirror in which we look to examine ourselves. In the case of the church at Sardis, there's still something there. It's not dead yet. Jesus says there's still something here, you know, there's still something that, that can work here. And I've heard this called a, a statement of delicate optimism. The church at Sardis could probably be called nominally Christian. And it seems apparent that many of the people who were part of this church 
went through the motions of religious practice, but they didn't know Jesus. And there are apparently still some believers there, though, who still hold fast to the gospel, believers who know Jesus and are trying to live in obedience to him. And Jesus goes on to say, for I've not found your works perfected before God. And what that means is that you're doing religious works, but they're empty works. They're meaningless. They don't have any real meaning or value. And that needs to change. You need to fix that. And something to understand about that is that two Christians can be doing the same thing. Two churches can be doing the same thing. And it can look the same from the outside, but it doesn't mean they are doing the same thing. One can be empty and meaningless. One can be spiritually alive. Remember, there's optimism in what Jesus says. It's almost like there's a fire that's about to go out. If you've ever gone camping, you had a fire the night before, maybe you dig around in the ashes the next morning and you find an ember that's just got a still a little bit of heat in it. And if that is left burning with a bit of watchful care, you can actually strengthen that and reignite the fire. As Jesus says, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain but are about to die. Here's how. Jesus says to do that. He says, remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. So the formula is to remember, hold fast and repent. And you remember that Jesus said something similar to the church at Ephesus. Remember the better condition from which you came and return there. Go back to where you came from and reignite that flame. Remember the parable of the soils, um, you know, where the, the sower throws the seed, some of it lands on rocky ground, some of it on uh, better ground and better soil, some of it grows. Um, so while some of it doesn't grow at all, some of it grows a little bit and dries up, some of it grows and it grows roots and produces fruit. The Sardians are like those who hear the word and receive it with joy and, and they endure for a little bit, but it didn't last. And Jesus is telling them to remember how they had received and heard. And that isn't about the format or the skill of the orator, but remembering the condition you were in and the readiness by which you received the message of the gospel acknowledge that is what you received and what you still have. Return to that, go back there, repent from where you are, return to where you met Jesus and then hold fast to that. Continue hanging on to that, don't let it go. doesn't mean you don't grow spiritually, but you never let go of the gospel. You always hang on to that. It's the gospel of Jesus that is the source of life. If you don't wake up and watch, Jesus says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The return of Jesus is going to be a shock. It's gonna be a surprise. And I don't think he means the timing of it. We know that we don't know the timing of it, but I think what he's talking about here is more about the reality of his return. They're gonna be shocked by it. It's gonna be awkward. It's gonna be embarrassing. It's not gonna be a very nice time. One of the things we talked about through this series is that in our study of these seven churches, Jesus gives encouragements and warnings. And really all of that is done with an eye towards his return. 
you know, do this, do that, get ready, I'm coming back. And how we listen to and apply those encouragements and warnings is going to determine, have an effect on what the return of Jesus is going to be like for us. If we look to the encouragements and we seek to do those things and emulate those things, if we look to the warnings and we do our best to avoid those things, that's going to make a difference what the return of Jesus is going to be like for us. You know, is it going to be an embarrassment? Are we going to think back and think, oh, I wish I would have done all this stuff better? Or is it, you know, something to be excited about? You might be a saved believer, but are you going to be happy to see Jesus when he returns? Today, we see the church at Sardis being drawn back to the message of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. That's a continual and ongoing process. Okay, we aren't just saved by the gospel and then forget about it and move on to other things. It's something that continually shapes who we are, what we do. It's, it, it has unfathomable depths. We can just learn and learn and learn about it. We can meditate on it and think about it and just don't let it go. Hold fast, Jesus says. We keep it central to who we are and what we do. And one of the things I've mentioned a few times as we've gone through this series is that these things are not impossible. There's stuff that we can do. We can focus on the gospel. We can hang on to it. We can remember it. And we may not do it perfectly. We may drift time to time, but we can always go back there. We can always repent. We can always go back to where Jesus wants us to be. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I certainly, as always, appreciate you taking the time to listen in. And once again, I'm going to ask you, if you haven't done so yet, please follow the podcast. I really appreciate you guys, and I'm thankful for you and your time, and I pray for you daily. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 